You are listening to the Impact Church Podcast. To learn more about Impact Church, visit us online at impactharlem.org. You can also check us out on social media. Amen, amen, man. It's good to see everybody here. We're going to continue on in our Song of Solomon series. Before we get there, my prayer for you is that last week, this past week, that you implemented some of the godly characteristics that we talked about last Sunday. That we had some some men that were kind and gentle and created that place of, of peace and safety. I pray that we had some godly women who encouraged, who hung out with some godly women and just did some things that improved the marriage last week. It was fun for me last week to talk about that stuff. This week, if you had fun last week, all the fun ends, right, this week. So I just want to tell you that up front. Um, we're going to talk about sex and sexual immorality this week, and it's something that the church really doesn't talk about too much. So we're going to talk about it because this, this word right here talks about it. And if, if God talks about it, it must be pretty important. So what I want to do is I, I want to kind of set it up to where our culture, right, culture has, has saturated us with sex. That's, that we live in a sex-saturated world, and I don't know when you grew up or what era it was, but for me, it was the True Love Waits era. How many of you grew up in the True Love Waits era? All right, I'm going to explain that to you. This is the True Love Waits era. You're supposed to wait for your one true love before you do anything, right? And it's like, well, how do I know what my one true love is? And this is how it looked. Anytime you would ask your youth leader, like, can I do this? Can I do this? The answer is always no. Like, you can't do any of that. Like, no, 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 no. And it's like, so I don't know. I don't even need this book. Just give me an index card with the word no. So everything I ask is no. And what it did is it is it caused us, in my era, it caused us to to view sex as something that's really bad. And God says it's not bad. It's actually a gift from him in the context of marriage. But what we've learned and what society has taught us is that we can really do whatever we want to do because it's our body. We can make the decisions we want to make, and it doesn't really matter what the Bible says about it. And I do want to I do want to say this that I'm not I'm not trying to get you to change your practice because I don't think we need a practice change I think we need a perspective change. And the only way that we can get there is to understand what God says about sex. So we're going to talk about that, but what we're really going to look at is how to how to live a life that honors God with every aspect of who we are. And man, it's it's going to be it's going to be uncomfortable at times, and that's okay. I'm okay being uncomfortable. I just want you to be okay being uncomfortable because we're going to allow the Spirit to speak to us this morning. And I do want you to know that I'm primarily talking to Christians in the room. Because as Christ followers, what, what we've done is, is we've said that God is the Lord of our life. So because He is the Lord of our life, then He gets to tell us what to do. So we're going to read from His Word, the authority of God's Word, and as Christians, we say that we fall under the authority of this. If you're not a Christian, 
in this room, then this really isn't for you. It will help you if you do this stuff. But you have said that you are the Lord of your life, and I'm going to give you that. But for the Christ followers, we have said that God is the Lord of our life. We're going to be in Song of Solomon chapter 3. Now, there's some verses at the end of chapter 2 that we're not going to cover, and it was about dating. So we saw last week that they, they were dating, and they were outside, they were at a picnic, and then the rest of chapter 2 talks about them dating and them pursuing one another. So this is what I would say about that to the husbands in this room. Take your wife on a date. I just take her on a date, man. It's not that difficult. You don't have to plan something extravagant. You can have a picnic outside in your backyard. And she's going to look at your back porch and say, man, the cedars of those rafters are so pretty, just like this woman did here. And she's going to be grateful for the fact that you said, hey, I, I don't really want to go out, out, so we're going to go in the backyard, get a tent, get a candle, don't burn it down. Maybe use like a candle that's not real fire. Whatever you want to do, but pursue her. Show her that she's valuable to you. Song of Solomon, chapter 3. Starting in verse 1, it says, On my bed by night I sought him whom my soul loves. This is what's happening. She's dreaming about him. Husband, when is the last time you think your wife had a dream about you? And was it good? So she is, she is dreaming about him. She says, I sought him but found him not. I will rise now and go about the city in the streets and in the squares. I will seek him whom my soul loves. I sought him, but found him not. The watchmen found me as they went about in the city. Have you seen him whom my soul loves? Scarcely had I passed them when I found him whom my soul loves. I held him and would not let him go until I had brought him into my mother's house and into the chamber of her who conceived me. God, I just pray that you speak this morning through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So what happens is she wakes up. He's not there. She goes and finds this joker. She's like, where is he? I'm going to find him because they're just dating. So he's not supposed to be there anyway. So he's not there, but she's been dreaming about him. And she, she misses him to the point where she says, man, I woke up. That's all I can think about is this amazing guy. I'm going to find him. And she goes out into the city looking for him. She finds him and she drags him back into her mama's house. Now, I just want you to know this. You should probably get permission from your mama before bringing a boy or a girl into their house. It's really important that you get that permission. But she brings him into her mother's house. Throughout this book, what we're going to see and what we saw last week, what we see here, what we're going to see the rest of this book is that there's a natural progression of attraction that takes place. That they meet each other, they begin to pursue one another, and in that pursuit... There is a natural sexual attraction for one another. And what we don't see is we don't see God come down and say, hey, you should not have this attraction for them because he doesn't do that. Actually, I'm going to give this away, but we're going to see that God speaks one time in this book and it's, it's on the honeymoon. And it's, it's after that they become one on the honeymoon and pretty much he says, hey, good job, way to go, now drink your fill. He says, this is the design, is that I am a good God who has given the gift of sex in the context of marriage. So at no time do we see that this attraction for one another is bad. 
See, sex isn't gross, but sex isn't God either. And I think we're either at one end or the other a lot of times. Is that for me growing up, true love waits, man. Sex was gross. Sex was no. You could do none of that because Jesus doesn't love that. And then I see the Bible says that, man, God created that, so it must be a pretty good gift. But what our culture has done is turned sex into God. And then there's no room at all for the one true God and what he describes sex as being. So what I want us to do is this morning, I, again, I'm, I don't want us to change our practice because I don't think we can change our practice until we change our perspective. And the perspective that we need is the perspective of God. See, instead of asking, because this is what we do, instead of asking where is the line, right, we want to know where that line is, we should be asking, hey, when is the time? When is the time that we can actually pursue this type of thing? In verse 5, this is Solomon's answer. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. This is what he's saying. He says, hey, I, I love you. Man, I'm so attracted to you, but do not awaken love until it is time. He's saying, hey, God has given us this gift, but this gift is meant in the context of marriage. And anytime we get it out of order, it causes damage in our life. It causes damage in any relationship that we can be in. It causes damage to those around us. God is a God of order, and the order is you meet, you begin to pursue one another, and then you have a covenant together in marriage. And then after that is when the sex takes place. And this book, we say marriage, the context of marriage, this book, the Word of God, describes marriage as one man, one woman, for one lifetime. That is the godly definition of marriage. Now, what I'm going to do today is I'm going to be very honest with you about what Scripture teaches about sexuality. There's some things that if we were to preach this five years ago, there's terms that didn't even exist for sexuality five years ago that exist today, and I don't even know all the terms. What I know is that marriage, biblically, is between one man, one woman, for one lifetime. And that is the way that this book, the Word of God, describes marriage, and that is the truth that we stand on here at Impact Church. So I would say this, if you don't believe that, I would ask why. Why don't you believe that? What has shaped your belief? Because this is what I believe happens. I believe that we begin to shape our beliefs to match our behavior. When as Christ followers, we're supposed to make our behaviors match our beliefs. We can't take the Word of God and twist it around to, mat, or to, to fit what we want it to say. We can't take the Word of God and say, well, I behave this way, so I want to twist the Word of God to fit my behaviors. No, that's where we begin to mess it all up. Instead of saying, hey, I surrender my behaviors to the Word of God because this is my authority, so I begin to change my behaviors to fit my beliefs. And the world would teach you this, that sex is only physical. 
that that there's nothing nothing more to it than just a physical interaction between two people and the bible would say no it's way more than physical see sex and intimacy are intertwined and there's no way to break them apart you can't separate sex and intimacy it's not just physical it's way more than that and for those of you sitting in this room that and and you've you've had sex before you're married whatever it is then you know you know that it's more than just a physical act that something happens deep within you because you cannot separate sex and intimacy but what happens what happens is we begin to to try all these different things and all these different ways thinking that it's just physical and what we do is we run out the intimacy in our relationship see we think experience fuels intimacy and that's that's not true no exclusiveness fuels intimacy intimacy is fueled by the exclusiveness that you have with your spouse and when we begin to introduce other sexual things into our relationship then the intimacy begins to be driven away. And I'll tell you what you need for a relationship to be sustained. And when you say, man, baby, all I need is love. That ain't right, okay? You can love some shoes, and when they get holes in them, you're throwing them away. Now you need intimacy in your relationship to last. Statistics prove this to be true because statistics will say those who, who say that Man, we just need to try it out before we get married because we need to know if we're compatible. First of all, I want you to know that you are compatible with hundreds and thousands of people on this planet. If you're a dude and she's a girl, you're compatible, right? That's just how it works. I just want you to know that. There's no, I'm married in my, we're married in my heart. We're, we're, we're almost married. Like, there's none of that. But statistics show that those who live together and have sex before they get married are 50% more likely to get divorced. And this is why. It's because they're just thinking that it's all physical and they're driving the intimacy out of their relationship. And if you want a relationship to last, you need intimacy. Back when the Crusaders were, were going and they were having all these different Jesus-type movements they would be baptized before they went out and what they would do is they would they would get in the water and they would hold their sword up in there they would be baptized and they would say hey so i'm giving everything in my life to the lord except my sword i am the lord of my sword and i believe what we do in this generation is when we become jesus followers and we say hey i'm giving my life to jesus when we go under the water we have two things that we hold up our wallet and our sexuality and we say hey god can have everything else but he can't have these because we want to hold on to these so i want you to know that this isn't this isn't a, an issue of of what the world may think no this is a lordship issue this is have you given this over to jesus yet or not in your life have you given jesus everything in your life is he the lord of all or have you just given him a little bit because i would say this that if he's not the lord of all then he's not the lord 
You're not going to have your master come to you and tell you something and say no and still call him your master. It's just not how it works. If he is the Lord of your life, then he needs to be the Lord over everything. So what's God's perspective on marriage? We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to jump here. And there's some people that skip down to verse 12, and it's very tempting to skip down to verse 12. But verse 12 talks about the what, but verses 9, 10, and 11 tell you the why. And I think that we can't miss the why of this. See, Paul's writing this letter to a church who they're, they're, they're all jacked up, man. This church is getting drunk on communion. Like, people say we need to be like the early church. I don't think so. Like, we don't really need to be getting drunk on communion, and that's not going to happen here. We use fake grape juice, um, so you can't get drunk on that. Like, I'm downing them after service, whatever's left over, because they're just good to me, but there's, there's no alcohol. So don't, don't take videos of that, by the way, because they'd be like, man, this pastor. Or maybe take videos, because people might, like, yeah, we want to go there. This pastor is taking shots of grape juice, like whatever it is. But this church is getting drunk on communion. And they're having some issues because they're, they're thinking that it's all physical for them when it comes to their sexuality. And they're, they're sleeping around with all kinds of people. And we're going to see at the end of this passage that there's temple prostitutes that they're going to, to hook up with. And there's just a lot of sexual immorality happening. And Paul gives some good advice and starting in verse 12, he really talks about how to, how to kind of get away from sexual immorality. But starting in verse 9 of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he gives the, he talks about the sinfulness. And he talks about the why do we even need to get away from sexual immorality. So let's start in verse 9. It says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, who's the unrighteous? Here's the answer. All of us. Every single one of us are the unrighteous. All of us. See, it's not just a, it's not just a heart problem. No, we are the, the part of the problem is us, is that we are unrighteous. And it's not really our behavior. See, we aren't unrighteous because of our bad behavior. Our bad behavior is because we're just unrighteous people. To our core, we are unrighteous. We're born that way by nature and by nurture. We are sinners in need of a Savior. So Paul starts this off and says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? He's talking about all of us. He says, Do not be deceived. I'm going to stop right there because this is important. Do not be deceived. Why does he say that? Because we're deceived. Because what we do is we compare ourselves to the worst of the worst. We say, hey, well, I'm not as bad as Hitler or I'm not as bad as this. And it's like, well, that's great, dude. But God says he's comparing you to him, to holiness. And I don't know if you know much about history, but there's a big difference between Hitler and Jesus. Like, it's big. So we, don't, we can't compare ourselves to other people. And he's saying, hey, don't be deceived. You're not that good. Like, you are unrighteous. And he says this, neither the sexually immoral, this is, a, this is like a junk drawer of sex sin, 
nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality. We're going to come back to that. Nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. So this is what he's saying. He starts with sexual immoral. And I think he starts there because that catches all of us. The word used here is porneo. And what it means is every sexual sin or activity outside of the way God designed it, that is what he's talking about here. And that catches every single one of us at some point in our life. It's just a big old junk drawer of sexual sin. It's where we get the word pornography from. But it's not just pornography. It's all kinds of stuff. I want you to know if you're married this morning that your spouse is the only legitimate source of romance for you. Your spouse should be the only legitimate source of romance for you. And this is what happens, though, man, is what happens is we begin to allow all these different things to play a part of, of our minds and our actions. And we think that we have it under control when we don't have it under control. And Paul says, do not be deceived. Don't be deceived. See, we have done these bad things because we are selfish people. The root of us, at the core of who we are, we are selfish idolaters. And then he says, those who practice homosexuality. And I can't skip over this because it's in Scripture. And what I refuse to do is I refuse to get to heaven one day and Jesus say, hey, why didn't you preach this part? And I say, because it made me uncomfortable. Because that's not a good answer to Jesus. So we're going to talk about this very briefly. But Paul would say here, and Scripture teaches that those who practice homosexuality are in the act of sin. It is another sexual sin. And maybe you say, I don't believe that. I don't believe that it's a sin. And I would ask again, where do you get those beliefs? Where are you coming up with that? Is it because that's just the way that you feel? Because that's what the world has taught you? Because you have some desires that you, you don't really know what to do with? Well, I have some desires too, like to, to punch some people in the face sometimes, right? And I have to surrender those to Jesus. So maybe you say, well, I was born this way. And maybe that's true. I was born to want to punch people in the face. But again, we have to submit and surrender our desires to Jesus. But this is what you have to know. That Impact Church is a church full of imperfect people. And that everybody is welcome at Impact Church. Because we are a church of imperfect people. And as long as I am welcome here as a sinner, then you are welcome here in your sin. But we refuse... Because God refuses to leave us in that sin. He loved us too much to just save us and leave us. No, He wanted to save us and transform us. To sanctify us. So you're welcome here, but man, we want you to continue to take steps of faith in Jesus. And as I'm taking steps of faith in Jesus, man, I want to walk side by side with you as you take steps of faith with Jesus. Again, this is just a sexual sin and all sexual sin 
it says. And I'm not talking about the desire, right? The desire is not the sin. Paul says those who practice homosexuality. That's why we, every single day, have to surrender our desires to Jesus. Because we all have desires that are just selfish desires. We all have desires that we have to surrender to Him each and every day. Here's the, here's the truth, and then we're going to move on. God loves you right where you are. He just loves you too much to leave you there. And man, thank God for that because I'm glad that He's continuously sanctifying me because, man, I'm an imperfect person just trying to engage with a God who is holy and perfect and loving. And the more I engage with Him, the more He engages with me and He begins to transform my life. And He wants to do the same thing for you. And you say, okay, well, does, does everybody go to hell? Like, this is, is this everybody that's unrighteous? The answer, short answer is yes. Like, without Jesus, everybody goes to hell. All of us. But the good news of the gospel is that it enters bad places. And verse 11, Paul says, and such were some of you. Some of you were this way. You're not this way anymore. You were this way. And this is why you aren't this way anymore. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. You've been rescued by the love of Jesus. So for us as Christ followers, yeah, we were this way, but we're not this way anymore. And I'm not talking about behavior. Again, I don't want you to think about the behavior part. I want you to think about the unrighteousness part. We're not unrighteous anymore because Jesus has given us His righteousness. So when God looks at us, He doesn't just see all the dirty, nasty. No, He sees the blood and the holiness and the purity of Jesus that covers us as Christ followers. And I don't know what that does for you, man, but that changes, that changes me. Because there's something, there's something that we need that we can't do for ourselves, and it's holiness. And God said, hey, I know you can't do this, but I got you. And He sends Jesus on a rescue mission for us so that we can take on the righteousness of God. He puts to death the sin and the dirtiness, and He gives us the purity. See, the answer to sexual immorality isn't just to make wiser choices. No, the answer is the gospel of Jesus. The answer is the gospel of Jesus because the gospel should, should infect us so much that it changes who we are to the core. So it's not a practice change, it's a perspective change. And then in verse 12, he says, all things, this is the, the church people talking, it's in quotation marks. They say, all things are lawful for me. And Paul responds, but not all things are helpful. They say, all things are lawful for me. And Paul responds, but I will not be dominated by anything. Verse 13, they say, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And Paul says, and God will destroy both one and the other. This is what's happening. 
These people are thinking that their body is just, that sex is an appetite for them just like food is. And that it's just physical, that they've given their heart and their soul to Jesus, but the body's not important and it doesn't matter. So they're saying we can do whatever we want. It's just a hobby for us. It's just, it's just kind of fulfilling an appetite. And Paul says, man, that's not the way that God has designed it. Because you can't take away intimacy from the sexual activity. It just can't be done. It's intertwined together. And these people didn't know that. They didn't realize that. So they would go to the temple and worship Jesus on one day. Or they would go to the temple and get a prostitute on the next, and they were all good. Because they literally thought that the body was just a, it's just something that's going to go away one day. It doesn't really matter. They've given their heart and their soul to Jesus. And Paul says, no, man, that's not how it works. In verse 14, he says, and God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? And he's asking, do you not know? Because they legit didn't know. Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? And Paul answers, never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For, as it is written, and he takes them all the way back to Genesis chapter 2, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. And then verse 18 is the key verse. He says, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Everyone that has fallen into sexual sin, this is the reason why that they've made a decision to flirt instead of flee. And what we do is we, we see where the line is. We say, where's the line? What, what, how, many, how many pictures can I look at before I hit the line? Can I talk to him before I, I hit that line? It's just talking. It's just a text. It's just hanging out. We're just having breakfast. It's just a few pictures. There's nobody that's even naked in the pictures. And we're always asking, where's the line? But what happens is we begin to flirt with the line, and the next question we ask is, how far over the line can I get and still handle the consequences? And then the very next question is, man, how did I even get here? How did I even get to this place? And it's because at one, one time or another, we decided to flirt instead of flee. Because we think that we can handle it, and Paul says, flee from sexual immorality. I heard one pastor say it like this, that, that Paul would have us believe that in Ephesians 6, he talks about putting on the whole armor of God. That and if you're face to face with the devil, that you stand firm, you pick up the sword, which is the word of God, and you fight him. So this pastor Put it like this, that if you were to go to your car after service today and you see the devil standing there and you can picture him however you want, Saturday Night Live, devil's probably the best one with the little horns and the pitchfork and all that. And he's standing there. Then what, what this leads us to believe is that God says, hey, you stand firm. 
that you pick up the word of God and you get ready to fight. And God's going to send Amy, or angel armies to help fight with you. And you can because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. But if you walk outside after service and your ex-girlfriend is standing at your car, then God would say, run, Forrest, run, because you can't handle such temptation. That's the difference. In Ephesians 6, he says, stand firm. And here it says, hey, flee sexual immorality. Don't even think that you can fight against it, but you can't. Run away from it. And as we're running away and we're fleeing sexual immorality, we're running into the arms and the grace and the love and the mercy of Jesus. He would say, flee sexual immorality. Sin, people say sin is just sin, and I get it, man. They're like, all sin is the same. And to, the, to that point, the way that sin separates us from, from God is all the same because it all makes us unrighteous. It's all, it's all sin. It all separates us from God, but not all sin is the same. And it's really clear here that sexual sin is just different. There's something different about it. There's a different sting of sexual sin. And you know you know how you can tell that is like when you're in life group or grow group or whatever small group we have going on, people never, never joke about their past sexual sin. You can joke about all the other sin in your life. Man, and, and I was not a great person. Like, I wasn't a bad person. I wasn't a great person. I was just kind of going through life, doing some things. And, and I'll tell you about that all day long, and we could joke about that, and that's cool. But nobody brings up sexual sin and jokes about it. Because it just it hits differently. There's just a ghost of sexual sin that follows after you like no other sin follows after you and it and it brings with it shame and guilt and condemnation and Paul would say hey that's because you can't separate sexual sin and intimacy and that there's just something deep within you sexual sin it's a sin of of something that's deep within it just hits you differently And then he ends this passage this way in verse 19 and 20. He says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. This is what he's saying. As a believer in Jesus... Your body is the temple of God. Your body is the permanent address of the Holy Spirit on this earth. And what makes a temple a temple? It's not just because it's a pretty building. That's not what a temple is. No, what makes a temple a temple is that it houses the presence of God. And we see in the Old Testament, the temple had a room right in the middle, the Holy of Holies, and the high priest could go in there once a year because the presence of God was there. And we see on the cross when Jesus pushes up on his nail-pierced feet and says, it is finished. An earthquake comes through and it tears the curtain down, separating the people of God 
from the presence of God and it tears that curtain from top to bottom. And I want you to know it's not from bottom to top. We can't work our way up. No, it's from top to bottom because God has done everything necessary for salvation for His people. And now we see that as a believer, we are the temple. That the Spirit of God lives within us. Jesus says, it is finished. An earthquake comes through. It tears the curtain. The people of God are no longer separated from the presence of God. And then we see on the day of Pentecost, the people that said yes to Jesus and gave their life to Jesus were filled with the Spirit of God. And as soon as you said yes to Jesus and gave your life to Jesus, you were filled with the Spirit of God. Your body is the temple of God. So glorify God with your body. Man, you are valuable. What happens though is that as Christians, even though we know that there's no condemnation for those in Christ, right? We hear that. The enemy wants to look at you and he wants to put a condemned sticker on you. And it's a building term and what condemned means is unfit for use. And the enemy wants you to believe because of your past, because of your sin, because of the things that you struggle with, that you are unfit for use, that you are condemned. But you're valuable to God. We said this last week, but the way that we determine value is to see how much somebody would pay for something. So if I want to put, like I just sold a truck and it, it didn't have much value to it, man. I didn't get paid a whole lot of money for it. It was valuable to me but the real value is in what somebody else will pay for it. And the enemy would say, you're not valuable at all. And Jesus would say, when he said, it is finished, it literally meant paid in full. That he paid full price for you. That he paid full price with the blood of Jesus for you. You are that valuable to him says you were bought with a price and the price was full and it was Jesus. There's no condemnation for those in Him. So why do we flee sexual immorality, man? It's because of Jesus. It's because of the Gospel. It's because when we realize what He's done for us, then we want to flee to Him. Then we want to do things the way that He says to do things because He knows best. I don't know if you've seen our world lately, but sex has torn our world apart. Because God says there's an order to things, and when we get out of God's order, things get all jacked up. And man, I want us to shift our life back to the order of God. I'm going to close with this, and some of you, maybe you're dealing with sexual immorality right now in your life. Maybe some of you have dealt with that in the past. Maybe some of you just have some, some guilt and some shame. Maybe some of you have tried to beat it over and over and over. And I want you to know this, that it's not a self-control issue. It's a gospel issue. It's allowing God to truly be the Lord of our life in every aspect.
is that when we go under the water, we go under with both hands down and we go all in, man. We want him to have all of us. In John chapter 8, there was a woman caught in the act of adultery and they bring her to Jesus. Now, keep in mind, Jesus is at the temple. This woman caught in adultery, naked, these, these people bring her. It's like bringing her to, to impact and just laying her here and say, hey, we caught her in the act of adultery and the law of Moses said that we, we could stone her to death. And Jesus says, all right, well, we can do that. So whoever is without sin, you cast the first stone. And I can imagine that this woman is just laying there, just waiting, just, just anticipating the embrace of these stones being thrown at her, but everyone begins to drop their stones. And I can just imagine they're like, well, Jesus is the only one without sin, and he is the judge, and I don't want him judging me, man, so I'm going to just go ahead and walk away. So Jesus, he, he asked this woman, he says, hey, where are your accusers who condemns you? And this woman who is bent down, just waiting for these, for these stone throws at her, she opens her eyes and she sees Jesus. So she's waiting to be stoned and actually she gets grace. And Jesus says, you're right. No one here to condemn you and neither do I condemn you. Because Jesus meets us in the bad places of our life. But man, praise God that he didn't stop with that sentence. Praise God that he didn't say, neither do I condemn you. Now go and do life the way that you want to do life. That's not what he says. He says, neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. Basically, leave your life of sin. Come after me. Give your life to me. Flee sexual immorality. And there's some people in this room right now who you, you've received the grace of Jesus, but he, he didn't stop there. He said, now leave your life of sin. Some of you are struggling with some sexual immorality in your life or some other things. And today is the day that you need to flee. You need to run to the arms of Jesus. Thank you for joining us at the Impact Church Podcast. For this and other messages, visit us online at impactharlem.org. In the meantime, you can subscribe to this podcast, rate and review it on iTunes, and share it with your friends on social media. Once again, thanks for joining us at the Impact Church Podcast.